Okay, we uh, take a topic, we talk about it for a few weeks. The topic we started last, new last week was called Pre-Decide, Better Choices, Better Life. And today's topic is I Am Ready. Subtitle, if you want to call it that, is Keys to Overcoming Temptation. So that's where we're going to go today. We want to be ready to overcome temptations. Now, I've never met anybody that planned to ruin their finances. Don't, don't bring that up yet. <laughs> uh, ruin their finances. Go into bankruptcy. I never met anybody. I've never married anybody. Somebody, folks here, I've done their marriage ceremony. Nobody's ever planned to wreck their marriage. Nobody's ever planned to, that I know of to wreck their health. So why do we make these stupid, do these stupid things? Well, now we can bring the slide up. <laughs> we never plan to do these things that wreck our lives, but the problem is we never plan not to. So we want to be proactive, especially in today we're going to talk about temptation. A little review, some of you weren't here last week. The quality of our decisions determine the quality of our lives. So I make good decisions, I'm going to have a better life than if I make bad decisions. That's pretty common sense, right? Now, it doesn't necessarily make it easier. We talked about Jesus making the decision to die for us. That was the right decision, at least for us, right? Right decision for him, that's what God wanted him to do. But it was not easy. It was the hardest thing he ever had to do. Right? But the quality of our lives increased with the quality of our decisions. So that's why we were trying to find out how to make better decisions. So consequently then, these decisions that we make, ultimately are decisions that make us, right? So if I make a decision about a relationship, it ultimately affects my relationship, my finances, whatever it might be. So we're actually calling this a power. The power of pre-deciding. It's going to help us have better lives. It's going to help us make less mistakes. So there is a power to it. Bring that slide up, please. Power of pre-deciding. So I'm going to have a general template I'm going to be sharing with you through this series. And it goes like this. When faced with, and today we'll talk about temptations. So when I'm faced with whatever temptation you want to put in there, I have pre-decided to do what? before the temptation affects me. Because in the, the uh, emotion of the moment, it's hard. And that's why sometimes we make bad decisions. But if I pre-decided, this temptation comes, I've already decided I'm going to do that, then all it takes is the, not all it takes, but anyway, the courage to actually do what I pre-decided to do. So I talked about last week, I, I have shortcomings. I have weaknesses like you all do. I'm not consistent. I, I'm don't always make the right decisions. I don't always finish things. I start. So we're going to try and counter those on the positive side. So today we're going to talk about I am ready. And these pre-decisions are going to be based on, as we said last week, our values. So without the heat of the moment, I pre-decide, hopefully if you're uh, a Jesus follower, if you're not, we're glad that you're listening. This this, this information should be helpful to you. Uh, but as a Jesus follower, God gives me my values. And then when I'm not faced with a temptation, I can logically, according to God's Word, decide when this temptation comes, I'm going to do this instead of giving to the temptation. Now, let me ask you a simple question. I want you to raise your hand. How many of you 
How many of you have been tempted and regret the decision you made? Put your hand up. All right, I had some people not put their hands up in the first service. I said, you guys are lying. <laughs> We've all been there, done that, right? More than once, unfortunately, right? So, we've been tempted, we've given in to temptation, and often we regret that, right? Why? Because it is something that isn't honoring God, isn't beneficial to us, often hurts somebody else and or us. So we're going to look at some things that Paul wrote. He wrote a lot of the New Testament, and especially some things he wrote in the two letters to the church in Corinth. So we're going to start out in uh, the end of 1 Corinthians, or the first letter, or potentially the first letter that Paul wrote. So he's given all these instructions to the church in Corinth, and they had some issues, some problems, and he's given different instructions. And then he kind of ends the letter with this. It's kind of like, uh, okay, you've heard everything I've said, so here I'm kind of <laughs> going to summarize it this way. Be on guard. Or we could say be ready, right? Be on guard. Stand firm in the faith. Be courageous. Talked about last week, it's going to take courage even if we predecide. And he said, then be strong. And then the final part of the verse, which I should have put on here, says then, above all love. And he said that in 1 Corinthians 13, right? Above all love. So be on your guard, make sure you're loving, stand firm in your faith, make sure you're loving, be courageous, but also loving, be strong, and also loving. Now, as we talked about Jesus in the garden last week, we said he prayed that prayer, God, I don't want to die, I don't want to suffer and die. But he ended his prayer with, not my will, but yours be done. He predecided. Otherwise, he would have never went to the cross. Well, he asked his three of his disciples to be praying for him while he's away praying. He comes back, and the disciples are there. They're on their knees praying really hard for Jesus, right? Now, what, what are the disciples doing? They fell asleep, didn't they? And so notice what he says to them. He doesn't lash at them and say, you lazy, no good disciples. <laughs> Here's what he says to him. He said, keep watch and prayer. Keep watching and praying. Okay? But he gives us some insight. He said, well, why does he want them to do that? So that you will not give in to what? Our topic. Temptation. So one of the ways not to put in, give in to temptation is to be alert, keep watching, be ready, and pray. And then he says this, for the spirit is willing, in my good moments I want to do it, but my body is weak. I don't always do it, do I? So why are we watching and praying? We can give you two answers to that question. Right? Because we are being, uh, we have an enemy that's attacking us. And, uh, and Jesus said this about him. He said he, can't, he has come to kill, steal, kill, and destroy. So that's what Satan wants to do. He wants to steal things from you. He wants to kill things. He wants to destroy you, whether it's your relationships, whatever it might be. So, hate to tell you this, but the devil is coming for you. If you're a Jesus follower, now if you're not, I, I don't know. But as a Jesus follower, the devil's coming for you. When you accept Jesus, when you enter his family, his team, whatever term you want to use, you automatically made yourself an enemy, right? Satan or the devil. So. He doesn't like you, like us, so he does whatever he can to steal, kill, or destroy. So Paul is getting right into the second letter that, uh, 
to Corinth, and he says this, I wrote this stuff to you as I did to test you and to see if you would fully comply with my instructions. So things to do, things not to do. Why? Why is it important you do the things I told you to do and not do the things I told you not to do? So that Satan will not outsmart us. So he's saying, okay, Satan's going to try and outsmart you. He's going to try and trick you. He's going to try and win. He's going to deceive you. So I'm giving you some guidelines to avoid that. We don't want him to win. Sometimes that's enough for me to resist temptation. If I logically think, okay, Satan, if I do this, Satan's going to win. I don't want you to win. <laughs> Sometimes that's enough. So he won't outsmart us for we need to be familiar with his evil schemes. We need to be aware that he's out to get us and he's tricky and he's deceiving. All right? So that's one reason we need to, to watch and pray. Another reason is, and I don't think we think about this enough, you and I are not as strong as we think we are. We just aren't. We're not as strong as we think we are. There's a, a verse, uh, something Paul wrote in Corinthians also. He said this. So if you think you're standing firm, I got this, no problem, not going to be an issue. Beware, be careful that you don't fall. Call this overconfident. You ever been overconfident? Thought, eh, that's not a big deal. And then you messed up? I like to think of it this way. We should not be overconfident, but we should be God-confident. With God's help, I can do this. With God's help, I can not do that. There's a term. I shared the term last week uh, with you. There's a term that describes it. It's called restraint-biased. restraint biased. We think we're stronger than we, than we really are. It's kind of like you're at work and somebody's brought a cake in and you're, you're on a no-sugar diet, for example. So you walk by the cake the first, the first time, not a problem, okay? Next time, not a problem. Maybe five or six times during the day you walk by that cake. Probably by the five or fifth or sixth time, guess what you do? You eat a piece of cake, right? It's restraint biased. You're not as strong as you think you are. Why is that? Because you and I, I put on your outline, we have no idea how much energy, emotional, physical, spiritual energy it actually takes to resist temptation. We don't know. It's more than we think. And so consequently, we have restraint bias. We think we're going to, and we've all done this, right? We all thought we were strong enough to resist this temptation, not do that, and we failed. Now, again, these predecisions are going to be based on values. We put it this way last week. When our values are clear, our decisions are easier, right? If I, there's a little, some gray areas, I'm sure, in life, but most things are not gray. They're right and wrong. So when I have my values clear, then the temptation, it's easier to resist. No, that goes against my value. This is more important, this value is more important to me than that temptation. So we pre-decide to be ready to face temptation based on the things that we value. Now, I'm going to try and make this as practical, practical as I can. I want to give you some keys to fighting temptation. Practical keys to fighting temptation. Obviously, you should watch and pray. The first one says, move 
the line. What do I mean by move the line? All right, let's say temptation's there and I'm here. All right, what you and I like to do is get as close as we can because temptation's alluring, right? It's sometimes fun. I like to think of it this way, though. It has a kick, but it always has a worse kickback. We realize that. We understand that. So what do I do? I move away from the line. Years ago, I used to <laughs> I've taught teenagers. And once you get to know teenagers, if they're going to be honest with you, questions come up like, when I'm dating, how far can I go? That's the question, right? You know, can I kiss? Can I touch this part of her body? Can I rub this part of her body? They want to know how far they can go and not cross the line into sin, right? Um, wrong question to ask, right? Well, probably all of us been there, done that, right? Now, how far do you want to get away from the temptation? Because when I'm this close, it's easier to go cross the line wherever the line is. I'll give you kind of a, I, get, I think it's a good illustration. Anyway, we were on vacation in August. We were in Myrtle Beach, and I got sick at the end of the week. And so we're driving home. We like to drive home on Friday evening rather than Saturday when everybody else is traveling. So we leave Friday, and, and we're headed up 95, and we get to uh, almost to D.C. on 95. And my wife's looking at it. She's driving because I'm not feeling well. And the gas gauge is getting close to E. There's a line, right? The empty line. I don't know if you've ever been aware of this, but Northern uh, Virginia 95 and the Beltway, there's no gas stations in, it, that you can see. All along 95, most of the time, there's multiple gas stations. But you get there, there's nothing you can see. Now, fortunately, we have a phone with an app on it. And it's about midnight now, okay? Midnight going around the Washington Beltway because it's not much traffic, but there's not much open either. So we get, there, get this app out, and we say, where's our gas station that's open? And it showed us one. So we get off Beltway, and we go about five minutes this way, and it said turn. And we go about five minutes this way, and then it says turn again. And we go about another five So we're about 15 minutes. Can you imagine? 15 minutes off the Washington Beltway just to find a gas station that was open. Fortunately, we found one. Rarely have we done that in our lives. Normally when that line gets close, what? You want to go fill up. I've, in fact, I've never ran out of gas in my entire life. Um, because we don't want to get too close to the line, right? Because bad things happen or complications happen or difficult things happen. Think about it this way. When you know something is really dangerous, what do you do? Okay, i got a poisonous snake here. Am I going to stand here? No, poisonous snakes are dangerous, right? Poisonous snake here, I'm going over here. I'm going to have a buffer. I'm not going to be close to the line next to it. Now, the problem is with lots of sin, we don't see it as dangerous, do we? When we see it as dangerous, we're going to step away from the line. Maybe you have the spiritual gift of spending. Anybody have the spiritual gift of spending? Especially, uh, um, um, what do you call it? Shopping online. I can't think of the name of it. Amazon. Amazon. So you have this, this account at Amazon, right? And they've already got your credit card information. So as you're scrolling through, all you got to do is click and you bought it, right? There's not much buffer there, right? So what do you do? 
Well, if it's a real issue, you have somebody else get your, have your login information. <laughs> if nothing else, you don't have your credit card information in there. At least it, you have the buffer of having to put all those numbers in there, right? What about if you're on uh, social media, Facebook, whatever it might be? Something happened to me a few weeks ago. I, I found out I'm spending more time on Facebook than I want to when I'm thinking about it. Now, I'm on Facebook, so I like to find out when people have birthdays and anniversaries and, you know, good things happen. Uh, but it's easy to go down that, tr that, that rabbit hole, right? Oh, well, that's interesting. Well, that's interesting. That's interesting. Or YouTube or wherever it might be. So what I've done is I don't check Facebook as often during the day. And when I'm on Facebook, I have a time limit, right? I'm only going to, that could be an exception, but I'm only going to spend five or ten minutes on Facebook and then I'm going to go do something else. Now, I know the pushback. Oh, pastor, that's so restrictive. You're going to ruin all my fun. Well, sin has a kickback, and it's not fun. So, practical thing, move the line. Separate yourself from the temptation. Kind of like an alcoholic shouldn't hang around in, in a bar, right? Separate yourself from the temptation. Second thing, magnify the cost. Magnify the cost. Another way to think about it, what is the way, worst case scenario if I give in to this temptation? All right? What's the worst case scenario? Or I put it on the outline this way. It comes true. What if the worst case scenario comes true? Okay? So I um, decided to fudge the numbers on my income tax return. I'm thinking about this because now it's January, right? We've got to I'll fill that out next couple of months. So I do it. I don't get caught. And so the next year I fudge the numbers a little bit more. Well, it might go okay for a while, but what, what happens eventually? You might get caught, right? That's the worst case scenario. So wisdom is I just won't, you know, I'll be honest when I fill that out. Because not only might get caught and might wind up in jail, you lose your integrity, don't you, when you're dishonest. See, I don't want to lose my integrity. That's a one judged to use. Maybe on your job you're uh, taking pens home, whatever it might be. And then you're taking something, a paper home, and then you're taking something else home. Again, eventually, or maybe you're punching in, or somebody punch in when you're not putting in hours. You might lose your job, worst case scenario. So I'm going to resist the temptation to do that because I don't want to lose my job. Of course, the worst thing is in your interpersonal relationships, especially people that are married. Do you want to risk your relationship with your spouse? Am I going to mess around with another woman and, and ruin 46 years with my wife? That would be stupid, above stupid, right? So. What is the worst case scenario if I get caught? Now, obviously, sometimes we don't get caught. That's why we need this guideline. Um, a verse in the Old Testament I hadn't thought about for a while. Uh, used to hear this when I was a teenager. <laughs> if you fail to do this, Moses given instructions. He says, you'll be sinning against the Lord, which, yeah, when you give in a temptation, you sin. And you may be sure that what? Your sin will find you out. Now, you can cheat one time, maybe get away with it. Cheat another time, maybe get away. But eventually, you keep cheating at school or whatever it might be or in a relationship. You get caught. We see people, famous people, politicians, all 
get arrested for doing this kind of stuff, and they've been doing it for years, and they keep thinking they're not going to get caught, right? Well, it can happen to them. It can happen to you and I. So we move the line, we magnify the costs, and then we plan an escape. Plan an escape. Bring that up. Okay. Probably the most obvious example in Scripture is Joseph. Joseph was a young man. He was raised in a wealthy family. He's the 11th child of 12 to his father. But he's the first by his favorite wife, which is a whole different topic, his favorite wife. So Joseph was kind of special to his dad. Well, his brothers didn't like that. They were going to kill him, but eventually they sold him into slavery. So he's a teenager, okay? He's a teenage boy. He goes from being favored in a family of 12 children, 12 boys, and wealthy to being a slave, just like that, all right? Hard for us to comprehend. So he gets carried off into Egypt. He gets placed in this home of this rich man, Potiphar, and uh, he does well, and so he gets promoted. He's kind of over the household of Potiphar's household. So, hey, you know, bad situation turned out pretty good, right? Let's pick up the story there. Now, Joseph was well-built and handsome. That's a blessing from God, right? Be well-built and handsome. And after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, Come to bed with me. Now, master, master's wife is still your master, and so you're a slave. Do slaves get to tell masters what they're not going to do? It's kind of a component we don't think about. This was, a, this was a, a slave's order. But Potiphar was over his wife, of course, and his response is what? Well, um, I, I can't do this. Your father's put me in head of the household, and I would, it would be disrespectful to your husband. And, of course, then he said it would be dishonoring to my God. So, one thing I don't think we think about often in this scenario is Joseph could have been disappointed, bitter at God for what had happened to him. It would seem that God had let him down, right? I was in a pleasant situation, now I'm a slave. So it got me thinking, don't use your disappointments in life as to justify or as an excuse for your disobedience. Well, if God's not going to fix it, if God's not going to do this, I'll go do what I want. I don't know if you've ever done, been there, but I've been there. So pre-decide. I'm not going to let disappointments justify disobedience. So everything's okay for Joseph now, right? He set the boundaries. He told Potiphar's wife how, the situation. Everything's good, right? Now, you can make the right decisions and still be faced with temptation, right? Same thing with him. Pick up the text. He says that she says this. Day after day, she kept saying this to him. It just wasn't once. So one day, she caught him alone in the house with her. And she grabbed his cloak and said, come to bed with me. So now she just asked. She's got to hold him, or at least his clothes. So what's he do? Well, he pre-decided, right? He's going to honor his master. He's going to honor his God. So he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. He had an escape plan, right? Predecided escape plan. 
this is not going to happen. I'm going to do whatever I have to to get away from her. Now we think, well, Joseph was just a strong guy, right? He just had this strong faith. Maybe. But I put on your outline. I don't think he was so strong as he was ready. Right? He was predecided. He was prepared. Now, in this case, he was faithful. The good news is, sometimes, even though we're not faithful, God is always faithful. And we're going to read this in the, in the next text we're going to read. It's a pretty familiar verse um, in Corinthians where, where Paul is talking about temptation. He says this, The temptation in your life are no different from what others experience. So your temptation is not unique. Okay, we like to think, oh, nobody's ever faced this but me. But no, it's not unique. Lots of people have done, faced the same deal you and I have. God is faithful, all right? So the issue isn't with God. He's going to be always faithful. So how is he going to be faithful? He's not going to allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. Now, we, when we give in, we think it was too much to, to, to withstand, right? But God's perspective is, I will help you. You do not have to give in. So when you're tempted, he will show you a way out, a way of escape, so that you can endure it. Now, this is a pretty familiar verse to some of you, I'm sure. So, and I've said this, shared it with you before, that you can, well, you can. Let me clarify this. It's hard to translate from one language to another language word for word. There's all these nuances to word. So we have a, a version of the Bible called the Amplified Version, and it tries to fill in some of those nuances. So this is quite long, but we're going to read it from the Amplified Version, see if that helps us understand. So no temptation, regardless of its source, okay, has overtaken or enticed us that is not common to human experience. So any temptation unusual or beyond human resistance. But God is faithful. How is He faithful? So His Word, he's, He is compassionate, and He's trustworthy. Really cool, right? And the text goes on, the verse goes on. And he will not let you be tempted. Can we bring it up? And he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability to resist. But along with the temptation, he has in the past and is now and will be, will always. So he's done it in the past. We all can look back at times we did resist temptation and even in the present, and will always provide the way out as well, escape. So why? So we're able to endure it, that we don't give in, without yielding. And I love this last part. And will overcome temptation with joy. Now, there's a joy or a pleasure in sin, right? So is there a pleasure in resisting? Absolutely. The consequences, the negative circumstances, the joy of knowing that I haven't sinned against my holy God, there should be a joy when you and I are victorious in temptation with God's help. So, we are pre-deciding to be ready for temptation. And we're going to put distance between ourselves and the temptation. Example that probably most of you are familiar with, Billy Graham. Had a Billy Graham rule. 
You know what Billy Graham rule was? He was just never going to be alone with a woman other than his wife. Simple rules, right? I've adopted this probably 30 years ago, not at the beginning of my ministry, unfortunately. I didn't have any negative consequences. And you say, well, pastor, are you, are you so weak? No, it's just I'm putting distance between you. And even if I'm able to resist, how would I, maybe that lady can't resist me. I don't know. <laughs> All right. She could accuse me of something, right? But wisdom is just never get in that situation. That's what distance between us. Another way to think about it is this. Why would I resist a temptation in the future or in the present if I had the power to eliminate it in the past or now? Like the Billy Graham rule, right? Most of you know that my wife and I are vegan. We don't eat any animal products. So, when we're faced with diets or go someplace when there's food, we've already pre-decided. We don't think that's good for us. And so, it's easy. Based on our values, right? That that's, it's just easier. So, I've eliminated that temptation, well, that decision, Ahead of time, um, we'll take we'll we'll take a week and talk about money or or generosity later. But hopefully, you have a budget or a spending plan, right? And so, if Dave Ramsey's give away the t- first ten percent, save the second ten percent, live off eighty of percent, for example. Well, if you already pre-decided that what you're going to do, you get your paycheck, ten percent is given away, ten percent you save, and you live on the eighty percent. And hopefully after you've done it a while, like my wife and I, that first percentage is more than 10%, and that second percentage is more than 10%. So you're living on less than 80%. So I've eliminated some of those temptations by the decisions I made ahead of time. So what are we going to do? We're going to move the line. We're going to separate ourselves from the line. We're going to magnify the cost. What's the worst case scenario? What's the worst thing that could happen? And we sometimes tell ourselves it's not going to happen, but it can happen, right? And then have a plan of escape. Again, what is this all based on? It's based on our values. And if we're Jesus followers, uh, God-given values, right? When our values are clear, not just have values, but when our values are clear, the decisions so much easier, right? Whether it's diet, exercise, money, relationships, whatever it might be. Now, especially if any of you have been in a recovery program, they have this thing called HALT. And I just want to make you aware of this and then we'll be finished. This is when we're especially vulnerable. This is when we're especially, it's dangerous. <laughs> and give in to temptation. First is when you're hungry, right? Um, especially when it, it deals with food, but it could be any temptation. If I'm hungry, I'm not, not at my peak performance, right? Secondly, when I'm angry, when I'm emotionally upset, when I'm not um, calm, I make dumb decisions. We've all done that, I'm sure. A biggie that I, I come across a lot in reading is, is lonely. Uh, especially dealing with, you know, addiction to pornography and stuff like that. When you get lonely or feel alone, that's, the temptation is much stronger. And then, of course, when you're tired, 
You just have less resistance or less strength. So, what are we going to be when we face temptation? We are going to be ready. Now, here's your next steps. I always like to give you something to, to work on. I want you to be incredibly honest because we deceive ourselves so much. Where are you most vulnerable to temptation? Like, for example, food is not a big temptation to me. It is to some other people. So, where, where, where is your temptation? Once you figure that out, pre-decide and plan to be ready in that area of weakness. Be as transparent. If you can, ask somebody as close to you that cares about you. Uh, if you're married, hopefully your spouse can help you with this. Be as transparent as possible because secrets is another thing Satan likes to use, doesn't he? To tempt us and to get us to, to lose the fruit. So, I'm going to be ready when the temptation comes because they, they, they do and they will come. Let me pray with you and we'll discuss some uh, different topic next week in the same area of pre-decision. We'll have a final song and let you go. Uh, Father God, thank you so much for your word. Uh, wow, there's such good instructions, direction, wisdom. And I thank you for this promise that, you know, temptations are hard sometimes, but I don't have to give in. You supplied me strength of your Holy Spirit. And if I'm wise enough to pre-decide and ask for your help and for your courage to, to uh, follow through, I don't have to sin. I don't have to give in. I don't have to suffer those consequences, the hurt and pain that brings to myself and others and, of course, to you, God. We don't want to bring glory to you. Of course, the most important decision any of us has to make is in our relationship with God through Jesus. So if anyone is not a Jesus follower, we would pray that today would be the day that you would see the benefit, the wisdom of accepting God's gift of forgiveness and salvation and eternal life. And realize life is better with Jesus than without it. We pray that you would make that decision. Father God, most of us are Jesus followers, and we all have weaknesses, areas of temptation in our lives, and we pray that we take that seriously, and that we would, no matter how many times we've been defeated in the past, that we would, again, decide, pre-decide, to do what you, God, value, which hopefully we also value. For it's in Jesus' precious name we pray, amen.